that's right. Yes, uh, 12 years old. In yeah, in Spain, we lived there for about three and a half years. And that's when I started, um, not professionally, but I got my first experiences there. I d I don't honestly think I'd be here now if it wasn't for them. If they hadn't come along first, well, who knows how it would have worked out. But uh, my brother Barry gave me my first break. He produced um, my first records. Go away, plane. <laughs> he produced my first records and he wrote most of my hits. So you know, who's to say if you know it hadn't have been for him first? You know. Hi, and welcome again to Words BG's podcast. I'm Stuart, and he's Cristiano. Thank you. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about one of the Gibb brothers, but it's one of the brothers that we've not spoken about yet. And it is Andy Gibb. It's one of these I've been looking forward to after covering the um, main course and Children of the World, which a lot of material people know. I still feel there's a lot of stuff that Andy did that a lot of people would not have heard, particularly the early stuff. Yeah, like myself included. Prior to this podcast, I'd heard Andy's three studio albums. The work that he did before Flowing Rivers... And as we'll get on to later on in future episodes, the work that he did after After Dark, yeah. I was unfamiliar with. So going through the research for this episode, and also Flowing Rivers itself as an album, is one that I played a few times, but never really played enough to familiarise myself with. I liked it, but I never really connected to it that much. Personally, for me, my favourite was After Dark. But as we'll go through this episode I think my opinions changed quite a lot yeah I think you mentioned the first well is three albums I think this at all three is if I was going to describe Andy Gibbs music this is the album I would point them in I completely agree my overall view of Flowing Rivers is that this is the purest Andy Gibb album and even just by looking at the track list there's 11 songs nine of which are written by Andy you go forward three years to After Dark and I think about nine out of the ten songs are written by Barry with someone else yeah. and then Andy himself I think only gets credit on one of the songs. Well I think with Flowing Rivers you've also you've got to bear in mind that he started probably around about 74. Flowing Rivers re- was recorded in 76 but wasn't released till 77. So you've got a two year period where he could stockpile songs and he was able to work on them as we go through this podcast, we'll see, and take what he what he thought was his best material and, and put it onto Flowing Rivers. When did you first hear Andy's music? This is quite strange, actually, because uh, a friend of mine, his daughter went to Canada, and she came back with After Dark. So I was just flicking through his record collection, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, I've never, never ever heard of it, never seen it. So he let me borrow it, and I, I was really impressed with it. So at the time, from 77 to 1980, were you hearing Andy's music on the radio? Yeah, subconsciously you'd hear it, but it, it, was, it was far bigger in America than the UK. So it was just Andy Gibb, part of the beach. I didn't, wasn't interested in buying his stuff or anything at the time. So it was, it's only, as I say, it was After Dark, which would have been about 83, 84. I got that and I put it onto a cassette and I was really impressed with it. And then you went and got his other albums. Yeah, but again, it probably wasn't until, I would say, 2000s that I got it. And funny you should say that, because before getting rid of this podcast, I thought I'll dig the CD out of Flowing Rivers, and I can't find it anywhere. And then I looked on Amazon, and I did actually buy it in 2003, when it was relatively cheap. So I've got a feeling this may have, I might have lost it, 
and this may have been the first album that I I downloaded in 2004-5 when it was the old dial-up so it would take like 10 minutes to download a track if it didn't cut out in the meantime and I think with Andy's music is it's very Bee Gees influenced isn't it I would say from second album onwards yeah I think it's the production team that he uses and I do think he's very influenced by Barry in particular and as we'll see with Flowing Rivers, working with Carl Richardson and Albie Galuton to get that quote-unquote BG sound. But with Flowing Rivers, there's other influences coming into it, and it's not really until Shadow Dancing mm. that you really start to hear that late 70s BG sound. Yeah, and you sort of think, well, was disco what he wanted to do? You listen to Flowing Rivers, and there's definitely a country vibe to it. You know, sort of a laid-back... And I would even say, at the time, you if you put it in comparison, you've got groups like the Eagles, yeah, with Hotel California, that sort of music. That's what i put as a comparison, if, any, if he was going to describe it to somebody. And that's what I love about the album. It's so unique. There's no other Gibb album, no other Bee Gees album that sounds like it. As much as I love Shadow Dancing and After Dark, I do think that that was a consequence of things like the success of Saturday Night Fever. and how popular the Bee Gees were in the late 70s and the disco movement that drew Andy's music away from the country style of Flowing Rivers. Yeah. Um, But I kind of feel like in an alternate reality, if Barry, Morris and Robin weren't the successful trio that they were and Andy was just his own artist, then he would have had a string of albums in the vein of Flowing Rivers. Yeah. I can understand where Barry come from. He wanted to give his brother a a hit, get get him on on the ladder. But I sometimes wish he'd re- the songs that he recorded in Australia, they were put out as his first album with no help from Barry at all. Let's just put this out, see how it goes, and then gradually build up his reputation. Because yeah. at the time, he was only, what, 16, 18? That's what you have to remember. He was born in 58. So yeah. even by the time of his first band, he was 15, 16 years old. Yeah, and I think he got his first guitar for his 12th birthday. So that would have been, what, 1970? Yeah, but always very influenced by Barry. So you mentioned that you you liked After Dark, but was that the first one? No, with Andy's music, I went through it chronologically. It was at the beginning of the first lockdown, so about March, April 2020. At the time, I was reading The Ultimate Biography for the first time. And I thought that it would be quite a fun thing to do alongside reading it would be to go through all of the Bee Gees album in a marathon. And I thought that because there's a few Bee Gees albums that I've not heard before, and I've not heard Andy's music before, that I'll add them in as well, so I can do the, the, the complete set. And I think I was doing an album a day. And so when I got to 77 and got to Flowing Rivers, I was playing it, but I only really played it for a day. Then the next day I, I went on to whatever the next chronological album was. As you were reading it, yeah. Yeah, as I was going through reading it then spent a day with Shadow Dancing, then spent a day with After Dark. So I didn't get to know them too well. I think I played them about three or four times on each day. and never really revisited them. After Dark would be the only one that I would go back to, to be honest, and then Shadow Dancing occasionally. So then when it came to prepping for this episode and playing Flowing Rivers again, a lot of the songs I couldn't really remember. And there's some songs that I've been very pleasantly surprised by. There is some real highlights on this album. Yeah. It's an excellent first album. It's one I, I assume that Barry must have been really proud of, but I think he only produced the two tracks, didn't he? The two singles. Yeah. I think they certainly got the best out of Andy, and they, not only you've got the songwriting, you've got his vocal abilities as well, which, which I think really shines on this first album. And there's a lot to be said about the influence of Barry with Andy. It's <laughs> difficult not to compare the two 
all the time, not only in the appearance that Andy looks a lot like Barry, yeah, but also way, vocally. Yeah, and the way that when Andy sings and then he goes into the high falsetto, it's nearly identical to the way Barry does it as well. There's the collection of songs from about 86, 87, where Barry and Andy really both sound yeah. identical. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? The, the youngest brother and the oldest brother sound alike, but the twins don't. They don't, but then they, they can do. And it's, it's when they do sound alike, we spoke about it with Mr Natural, with the harmonies from Morris. You don't quite realise that it's him doing yeah. those higher registers. Whereas with Andy and Barry, the similarities are, are, are there straight away. John Stringer, who was a member of Andy's first band, Melody Fair, he recalled... Andy's relationship with Barry and he said that Andy was besotted with Barry absolutely worshipped him his voice was very like Barry's he even copied the way Barry played his acoustic guitar and I've read as well that Andy would even tune his guitar to the unusual tuning that Barry would use so talking about Andy getting his first guitar should we go back to the beginning of Andy's musical journey yeah well I have read that uh, Andy's parents moved to the island of Ibiza and so he would have been, this would have been 71, so he would have been 13. So I think this is where he, he started doing a few gigs and stuff. The only thing I can find on it is that he covered sort of songs by Simon and Garfunkel. So you've got like Feeling Groovy, The Only Living Boy in New York. And the one that he did like to sing was Words. And it was just sort of after this that um, he started writing his own songs. So again, like the brothers, he did start really early. He told Barry about about a song and Barry wanted to hear it. And he wasn't sure at first to tell his older brother, no, 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 not for you or for other people, just for me. You've written good songs, you know what good songs are. But Barry insisted that he heard it and Andy relented. And when I finished, Andy remembered, he said that he was amazed that I'd proven to him that I could write songs. Then he told me the important thing was to keep writing. And then two years later in 1973, Andy, his parents and Barry moved back to the Isle of Man. And then on the 22nd and 24th of August, 73, Morris took Andy into Nova Sound Studios in London for Andy's first recordings. Okay. We've got possibly the acetate and it was probably up for sale. And so they obviously decided to play sound bites from each, each side. So... Unfortunately, we've got a clip of what they sound like, but it is only a clip, particularly with Windows of My World. When I woke this morning, didn't know the time of day. For the woman in my life, she left just the other day. And I can't get over what she's done, so I tried to forget the fun. I find Windows of My World is a rather placid song. At the point in which the the demo of the song cuts out, it seems like the song is about to change and develop into a faster tempo or a change in rhythm. So I don't think we're hearing enough of it to really give a full judgment. But from what I'm hearing, I I do like this one. Yeah, it's a nice sort of laid back one. This one was composed by Andy and Morris. I'm very similar to you. It's it's so, so difficult to judge it because it, 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 there's only a small segment. But it, it does sound a little bit like some of the songs that he would then go in to sing in Australia. Yeah. And unless my ears are deceiving me, I think you can hear Morris 
double tracks yeah. behind Andy. I wonder whether it was a, a Morris demo that they worked on. It does sound like a Morris song. Yeah, and it sounds like something they could have recorded in 71. And would this be the only time that we ever hear just Andy and Morris together on a recording? I think it is. Just Morris alone, apart from sort of backing vocals, yeah. Yeah. And the two voices blend better than I would have thought. Yeah, I do. This goes to what we've mentioned a few times. All three brothers can sound different, but all three brothers can sound the same. Mm. Or, should we say, four now. But I really do like the other side, My Father's a Rebel. Now, this one I've got is composed by Morris... Now, I never know whether this is My Father is a Rebel or My Father is a Ref. <laughs> but he's definitely got a 1973 vibe to it. Oh, yeah, I've got that this is a tantalising rocker. It sounds like an outtake from To Whom It May Concern. That's just what I've got as well. Rocky LA, that sort of, you know, the faster version of that. Like the sister to Road to Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good. I think it sounds worthy, definitely worthy of being developed for Flowing Rivers. And I remember when we were talking about A Kick in the Head is Worth Eight in the Pants, and the song Losers and Lovers, and you said at the time this would have been good for Andy. And I think that's proven. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely have liked to have seen them take this one to the studios and give this a good studio production on this. Yeah. But I think it's pretty good as it is, to be fair. But like you, I'd love to hear the full version of this. We mentioned about uh, Andy being influenced by Barry, but don't you think it's quite unusual that it's Morris that takes him into the studio? When we were going through albums like Trafalgar and To Whom It May Concern, Morris was the only brother of the three who was working with other artists Billy like Laurie, wasn't Billy Laurie, Lulu. And so it kind of makes sense that he would be the one who would then collaborate. That's true. The first to collaborate with Andy. And so then it was in early 1974 in the Isle of Man that Andy's first band was formed. The band was called Melody Fair and they were titled by Barbara after the song from Odessa. However, there's a difference in spelling of the word fair. It's spelled F-A-Y-R-E. And the band members included John Stringer on drums, John Alderson on lead guitar, Jerry Callahan on bass, and Andy on vocals, rhythm and acoustic guitar. And the songs that Melody Fair were rehearsing include Every Minute, Every Second, Down the Road, Mud, Tiger Feet, and Wings, Helen Wheels. So glam rock. Definitely glam rock influence there. And then on the 5th and 6th of May, 74, Melody Fair recorded their first demos at Island Music Centre, and these were engineered by Terry Clough. And the songs included Wouldn't I Be Someone, Dogs, and then two songs which I couldn't find any composition credits for them, so I don't know whether they were Melody Fair or Andy Originals or who composed them, but there's one that's called Whiskey and one that's called The Most Beautiful Girl. And then I saw these titles pop up again later on, so I don't know much about them at all beyond the titles. Oh, okay. According to Terry Clough, 
these songs were all considered as potential debut singles, and these demos were actually broadcast during a radio interview for an Isle of Man radio station on the 28th of May. So they've been heard, but I couldn't find any recording of this radio. It must have been a radio station just for the Isle of Man, and obviously records weren't kept, which is a great shame. And then Barry helped Melody Fair to compile a set list, and I could see that this set list included songs such as Down the Road, Road to Alaska, I've Decided to Join the Air Force, Words, Again, Whiskey, Again, The Most Beautiful Girl, Every Second, Every Minute, and then The Hollies, The Air That I Breathe, Leo Sayers, The Show Must Go On, and then Elton John's Rocket Man, and then Benny and the Jets would often be used as the encore. Well, thinking about that, those two songs that you mentioned, Whiskey and Most Beautiful Girl, well, there was a song called Whiskey in the Jar by Thin Lizzy that was from 72, and The Most Beautiful Girl by Charlie Rich in 73. Are these still sort of glam rock no, type songs? No, Whiskey in a Jar, well, it's Thin Lizzy, so they were sort of heavyish, and um, Charlie Rich was a country. So that it, makes sense. That could time with the music that uh, Melody Fair or Zenta wanted to play. After a few months, more songs were added to Melody Fair's setlist, and the group strengthened, and their setlist ended up running to about 90 minutes, with more Bee Gees material added, including Run To Me, New York Mining Disaster, and I've Gotta Get A Message To You. And so with Andy becoming a more confident musician, and with his talents strengthening, Barry and Hugh encouraged Andy and the band Melody Fair to move to Australia. Andy says... Barry and my father suggested that I go out there and try to become a big name there, like the Bee Gees originally did. They reckon Australia is the hardest training ground in the world. Barry told me if I could make a start there, I would be alright anywhere. And so Andy and the group's arrival in Australia, in late 1974, coincided with the beginning of the Bee Gees' Mr Natural tour in Australia. This was around September. And so when they were in Australia... There was some connection and they ended up getting in contact with Cole Joy, who yeah. had his own record label called ATA. And they started working on a song called To A Girl. And this is a session which again features Morris, who's playing the organ. Now, I have checked the internet and the only recording I can find for this is from a TV show. I presume that is why the, we've got that sort of wailing in the background <laughs> again. From what I've read, the original was about six or seven minutes long. I think this is a really good song. Me too. I think it's got a lovely melody to it. According to John Stringer, who you mentioned earlier, Andy needed assistance with the melody. 
on this one. So Morris and John might have been co-writers, but they're not mentioned on this. Well, this could have easily fit on Flowing Rivers. Maybe this is too similar to words and music to have been on Flowing Rivers. And the harmonies are primitive. And I think that Barry's production touch with the harmonies that we'd later get on Andy's material and the double tracking is really needed here. Yeah, it's a very stripped back song, isn't it? Yeah. But already, if you were going to hear this as his first single, you would know who his brothers were, wouldn't you? And I think already you can hear Andy's vocal range. You know, it's full of emotion. It's He carries the song, the lyrics. The type of song that this is demands that, that vocal range. So it is a good demonstration. It does give a good example of what he has to offer. I would say if you're going to put a comparison to the three brothers, this, would you say, fits in more with things that Barry was doing, like The Kid's No Good? Yeah, easily fit on there. As this was recorded, uh, sort of September, October 74, this would be the only recording that year that Andy would do. But he continued to be very productive and prolific. During this time, he made a lot of television appearances, just like the Bee Gees would in Australia. Quiz shows, game shows, which is also very similar to what he would then go on to do in the early 80s with Solid Gold. That's true, yeah. However, I don't think there was enough recording activity or live activity to retain the interest of the other members of Melody Fair. So the band eventually disbanded and one thing or another led to Andy finding himself in a new band called Zenta. And this included members Glenn Greenhall, Rick Oldford, Paddy Lelliot and Trevor Norton. And this would be the band that Andy would continue to work with throughout 1975. And they did some excellent recordings. Really good ones. I mean, if anybody wants to look on YouTube, I think one of the guys, Trevor Norton, has put up some clips of them recording and they they are excellent they are really good you know to capture Andy at that age and he is performing so maturely as well The next set of recordings we've got is from mid-75 when Andy went back into the studio. But after forming the band Zenta, it's quite unusual that he didn't take them with him into the studio. He used session people. Most of the band came from a group called Crossfire and they were described as sort of a jazz rock combo. So shall we go through some of these recordings then and see what um, what you think? Definitely. So I'll go through some of the titles of these songs. We've got Words and Music. To a Girl, there's a song I've not heard called Take Hold of Yourself. 
Then we've got Westfield Mansions, You've Got to Live Your Life, Turn Me On, and then a couple of songs, Walking Alone, Too Many People, I've Not Heard. Then we've got Mr. Mover, and then there's a couple of more songs, Black Bush, City Lost, Gone With The Wind, and Winter Has Me In Its Grip, which I've not heard. And the only other known recording we've got from, from this session as well is where Andy recorded a 1969 song that was composed by Barry and Morris, and this was called Twinkie. Around this time as well, with his group Zenter, they sung a song called Madman in the Night, which wasn't recorded in the studio, but it was composed by Andy. So with that then, Chris, shall we go into Andy's first official single? Which yep. was Words and Music. And this was released as a single only in Australia on Coljoy's ATA label. This was November 1975. So again, like his brothers before him, Andy's first proper release is only in Australia. Words and music make a song For our hearts to sing along Like a choir within the air There'll be music everywhere Words and Music would go on to be the second track on Flowing Rivers, so Andy would go on to develop this, and it's clear to understand why. Yeah, it's a lovely song. It really is. We'll save our thoughts until we go through Flowing Rivers, but all I've got for this one is that it's understandable why this was re-recorded. It doesn't quite sound properly developed. I'm glad that he went back to it. However, the orchestra is grander on this version. It is. And it's very noticeable when Andy sings the line, I'll turn the oceans into sand. I don't know whether that was just what Coljoy would like to do, because listening to To A Girl, that's got quite a a heavy orchestra behind it. Out of the two, this one you can tell is slightly more unpolished. And I think the melody really comes through on the latter version. And then... On the B-side of this was a song called Westfield Mansions. Such a bad job The muddy belly covers our heads Where is he's a man that he works for We think it means a lot to be said This is easily one of the strongest of this collection of early songs, pre-1977. And as Joseph Brennan said in our discussion with him, the thing with Westfield Mansion is that it's a great song, but it lacks a conclusion. There's no end to this story. We're told about the protagonist, his parents working at Westfield Mansion, and then he meets a lady, 
takes her into Westfield Mansion, but we never find out what happens. What happens to his parents? What's going on at this mansion? We never quite find out. It's kind of missing that final verse to explain and conclude the story. But it's a great song. And I think it's quite nice after To A Girl and Words and Music to get a change in tempo. It's got a real punchy brass arrangement to it. Very strong, very rousing. It instantly grabs your attention. Do you think it's influenced by heavy breathing? Something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously with his band at the time were performing these sort of songs. I think this is one that has definitely come on the on the back of band performing. Yeah, I'd not thought of that, but you're right, it is. I think he does a great job vocal-wise again, but I don't think he puts in a bad vocal. And it's the first recorded, quote-unquote, rock vocal that we hear from Andy. Yeah, they play this live on Zenta as well. It's excellent, the live version. And I didn't realise how his live vocal was so sort of strong and confident. Yeah, from such an early age. Again, he is, what, 17, 18 years old? In terms of what it's based from, I looked into what Westfield Mansion is, and the only one that I could find is on the Isle of Wight. I don't know whether this is just fictitious, whether Andy was influenced by it at all. The lyrics and the composition definitely paints a picture. There's a lot of imagery in this song. So there would have been a, a good A and B side single. Very good. Shall we go on to the next track, which is called Turn Me On? The sun is rising another day. I want you to stand there and do what I say. Turn me on, turn me on, turn me on. My head in the clouds, you're doing all right. This song, I think, goes back to be written around about November 74. Okay. And out of all these recordings, I find this my least favourite. I find the, the songwriting quite naive uh, in terms of melody, in terms of lyrics. And I think after probably, probably was sport by listening to the last two or three songs. What do you think? I'm glad you agree with me. I've got this as my least favourite of these early songs. I find the chorus very grating. The song outstays its welcome. But it does have that Road to Alaska flavour to it. Well, it's got that, I'll tell you what I've got, Dan. It's got that, a chugging shuffle beat. You're right. It sounds very early, very primitive, very naive. That's a good word to describe it. I do like it, but I can understand why this is an early recording. He's 16, 17. So basically, I think he's just throwing everything in the recording studio and see this, open his hands out and said, this is what I've got. We're fortunate to hear these, whereas a lot of artists, we would never get to hear their initial yeah songwriting and i didn't realize until doing the research for this that this collection of songs was intended this could have been an album that came out perhaps only in australia but this could have been a 11 12 track album yeah once he leaves australia this sort of style of music just gets left behind doesn't it 
But it does fall in with the stuff the boys, the Bee Gees were doing at the time with regarding sort of faster material. I'd sort of describe this as having sort of a chugging beat. It's probably the most upbeat song he sings for quite a while, actually. I'd say it's very similar to Status Quo. They had a single in 1973 called Roll Me Over, Lay Me Down. And was that type of music popular then in this, in 73? Yeah, I suppose it, it was sort of on the tag of glam rock. Mm, yeah, it does sort of sound like post-glam rock. So Status Quo was sort of a, sort of a boogie band. And they had their own sort of genre, to be honest with you. But yeah. um, it was on the tail end of, of that type of music. So after Turn Me On, I think we'll turn on to You've Got To Live Your Life. think with this one chris we're back in the singer songwriter mode well you've got that my first line of notes is that this is andy in barry mode all <laughs> right yeah i mean it's a shame the sound quality is not brilliant but we are able to distinguish what the song's about and, and and one thing and another there are some points in the verse and the chorus where the melody doesn't always work and falls a bit flat it goes back to what you said earlier with the song to a girl where he needed help developing and finishing the melody and I find the same thing here. But I do think that this one has potential, could have been developed, it could have appeared on Flowing Rivers. I do like this one. This reminds me of a couple of those songs on, the, on Barry's fan club demo, which goes back to what I said earlier about the other song reminding me from songs from The Kids No Good. It's that period, I think. That stems back to when he was 12, when he got his first guitar in 1970. That was the stuff Barry was doing in 70, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. We mentioned in the episode on Cucumber Castle that Andy does appear in the film. Oh, yeah. And I know that he was spending a lot of time with Barry during the Bee Gees split. They were spending time together. And so it makes sense that that's the music that Andy would have been hearing. And he idolised Barry. So this is the style that, as you said, singer-songwriter, which was very prominent in the mid-early 70s, that he would have wanted to have pursued. This is why we need a collection of, of Andy's Australian recordings. Building in a part of town. There's a girl who lives down there, 
Twinkie is a 1969 composition. Its original recording date during those 69 sessions, Circa Cucumber Castle, is undated, but we could say maybe late 1969. Yeah, well, I've, I've got it down, Chris, as around about October yep. 69. So this is one of the many songs that they were preparing for Cucumber Castle. What do you think of this as a song? Well, this is such a surprise to hear this. Well, you know what I'm like, Chris, don't you? I mean, with my... I want to collect everything... B&M. And then the last one we had from this session was High in a Windy Mountain that I went and brought and was a little bit disappointed. But this is such a simple little song, but it's so catchy. Maybe the lyrics are a bit iffy. That probably dates it quite a bit. But as regard, regarding a song, after three or four listens, I think I could virtually sing it all. Though I'm not going to now. <laughs> Save you all. But, um, Save that for I just want to be your everything. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So do you think Twinkie would have fit better on Cucumber Castle or do you think it would have been a better suit, it was a better suit for Andy to cover? I prefer on Cucumber Castle. Okay. I think a rewrite of the lyrics, the actual melody itself could fit Andy, but I just don't think them lyrics are correct for a 15-year-old boy. Because it's quite a jangly song. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it would have fit on Flowing Rivers, but if there was to have been the unreleased Australian album with To A Girl, Words and Music, etc., then it could have been on there. Great thought, yeah. Whether it's a demo, but it, it sounds like it's just the guitar and bongos, or, or yeah. quite limited. I, I assume there was just Barry Morris. And then you've got the intro to this, and then there's a middle section. Just hearing the instruments, it does remind me of Early Genesis, from their very first LP they did with um, Jonathan King. And it's quite interesting that the Bee Gees were one of Jonathan King's favourite groups. And he always wanted that Genesis album to sound like the Bee Gees. So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, I can see where Jonathan's coming from. Your beauty hides the joy I found Baby, you feel so Yeah, good spot. Very, very true. We have to give thanks with this hearing Twinkie to Andrew Sanderville. From what I can tell, the first public broadcast of this song was from his November 2022 excellent Come to the Sun oh, radio it's fantastic, show. Isn't it? He did. He did recently did an episode on Graham Goldman, which you know is is one of my favourites as well. But I'd definitely recommend anybody go and give it a listen. He, there is an episode isn't it, of all Bee Gees songs, and they are not the bog standard hits. Well, they're all sixties and. 
he also plays, so he does Twinkie, he does a lot of the songs from Odessa and the first four albums, Cucumber Castle, and then also a really good quality version of Soldier Johnny. Yes, excellent, yeah. I'll put a link in the podcast description of where you can find Andrew's show. And, and I remember way back in the Cucumber Castle Odessa episode when you were going through his day-by-day book and you read out his little summary of Twinkie and he said in that that it was a really catchy song. So it was great to then hear this. I totally agree. So yeah. with him saying that, it it makes me even more frustrated that he says, particularly those songs written in 7071, how good they are that we we never get to hear. But the only positive thing is, obviously, we've now heard heard this. So if there was ever going to be a, a Cucumber Castle Deluxe, there's not that many songs. I mean, I've qu- had a quick look at it and there's just about three. Between the Laughter and Tears, Go Tell, Xi'an and Julia. Next up, we have Flowing Rivers, which of course would go on to be redeveloped and would be the title and title track of his debut album. But in this early version, it runs to about 5 minutes 40. And the notable difference is that the second verse of this early version was removed from the final version we then end up knowing a few years later. I suppose they just wanted to tidy it up a bit. And with this version, Chris, you can it sounds like an acoustic, just sound like a demo. Walking But I've got to say, I really like this. In getting to know the album over the past few months, this is one of the songs that I've really, really, really grown to love. I'll save my thoughts until we talk about the album, but this is um, one of the one of one of the all time great Andy Gibb compositions. Do you prefer the demo or do you prefer the studio version? Because I'm more familiar with the the album version, I would say that I prefer that. This one is a bit slower, and I can understand why they removed that second verse. But both are great. I mean, hearing the demo of a song that you love is always exciting, and and this is what. This, this is, this is a, an extended version, a slower version, an early version of a song that I really like. So I like it just as much. Excellent. Well, as you say, we'll, we'll go through this a bit more when we do the album. And with that in mind, I think we come to one of the, the last tracks from these 75 recordings. And it's called Mr. Mover. <laughs> I've been moving all the way I 
I don't have much to say about this one in a similar way to Turn Me On. It's got a good groove to it with a jaunt in the rhythm and a catchy chorus, but there's not much else going for it. It's like Andy going in, trying out all of the compositions that he's written and just seeing what sticks, what works and what doesn't. I think this one's got great potential. I think it's a shame this wasn't worked on a bit more. Like when we explained when we did Main Course and we talked about them songs they did earlier, like Wind of Change where Arif told them to go and speed it up and, and fast it and work on it a bit more. This is what, how I feel about this song as well. It needed to, a, a different producer, different ideas and work on it. But I would have thought when he went to do the album Flowing Rivers, he, they would have heard all these. And obviously they've picked out what they thought would fit the album. And I think they made the correct decisions. Give or take, probably to a girl, do you think? But yes. then there could have been one too many of them sort of ballads. But then, if you're going to release that album and, and didn't have Barry's influence, took them two tracks out of it, the two singles, then you could have put To A Girl in, you could have worked on Mr Mover. Yeah, but I think that looking at the 11 songs that are on Flowing Rivers, if there was a, a genre or a style of music that I think is missing from that album, I would say go for My Father's a Rebel. Yeah. Because it gives it that up-tempo rock number that Flowing Rivers maybe doesn't have. But then again, it doesn't really need it. And doesn't need it, no. My I Father's a Rebel at that point is four years old. It's kind of a glam rock style of song. So it wouldn't quite fit in. Works well live. Well, talking about songs that work well live, should we go on to Madman in the Night? Yeah, now this is an excellent song that we're lucky to have, obviously through this tape that Trevor has released. Trevor Norton goes and say this was composed by Andy the night before, which I find strange because it's quite a complex and long song. But this is such a complex song and Madman in the Night is like nothing else that we ever hear from Andy or even from the Bee Gees. It's quite progressive in some parts, isn't it? It's progressive, it's strident, it's a sweet which constantly evolves through its seven minutes or so. I mean, all we're missing really is a keyboard solo, isn't it? Yeah. Then you would put it as prog. Yeah, there's there's guitar solos constantly. It's both understandable that it was improvised. If it was only written in 24 hours, you can understand why there's all of these guitar solos. But also it makes it the perfect encore song, which I think is what it was, or a, or a set list closer. But it's so full of energy. It's the ideal live song. 
and I would love to have heard this, how it would have been captured in the studio. At the time, they were supporting Group Sweet, who were really glam rock. They started off with songs like Wigwam Bam. But what these Sweet would used to do, they used to get these written, they're all written by Chin and Chapman, or they're Hellraiser, Blockbuster. So they're very commercial. And then what they used to do on the B side of their singles, they used to put their own compositions on, which were far more heavier. So I assume in concert, Sweet were a lot more heavier than what the, you know, the, the top 20 singles were. Yeah. So I assume Andy must have heard some of this and thought, well, we if we're going to be a support act to these, we need to incorporate more heavier style music. So would you say that Madman in the Night, you said it's progressive. Would you, can you also hear glam in there? Probably a little bit, yeah. Yes, I probably, I probably could do. It's amazing, isn't it? From 73, 75, so many different styles of music. And then it's really nice to hear how then in two years' time come his first studio album, that's all refined and Flowing Rivers has a, a clear style to it. And I really like that. I like the fact that he's tried out all of these different styles in Australia. Fair enough, what he's happy with. Exactly. And managed to make that 11-track album that suits his style so perfectly and, and defines him as an artist. At the beginning of 1976, Andy would then also go and record some more songs. These were In the End, Come Home for the Winter, Let It Be Me and Starlight. So virtually the album was completed apart from the two Barry songs. These were recorded at ATA Studios in Sydney. Andy would go on to record one other song that wasn't composed by him and was going to be a proposed single. And this was called Can't Stop Dancing. I've looked and I can't find a version, Andy's version of this. But the only one I could find was by a group called Captain and Tennille, who later had a hit with it. It was composed by Ray Stevens. Andy said later in an interview in 1978, I met him and wanted to record a song of his. I tried it with two producers, didn't like it, and ended up producing the session myself. I played all the guitars and keyboards, but it was never really finished, and I still don't know now where the tapes are. And then in 1976, in the Sydney Morning Herald, Andy says that Can't Stop Dancing would be released as his second single, but like most of his Australian recordings, it never saw a light today. But there have been some records pressed with this title on it. So we'll give it a little listen. At least we get to see what it sounds like, as opposed to what Andy would have done with it. The reason it wasn't released as a single, I think, is because ATA made a decision, because Andy had already decided then to move to Miami, that he wasn't going to be there to promote it. Having had all of this activity in 1974 and 1975 in Australia with Zenta, with Cold Joy in the recording studio, Andy seemed to have proven his worth to Barry, to Hugh Gibb, and also, quite importantly, to Robert Stigwood, that he was now ready to make it as an artist in his own right commercially. So around October 1976, at Criteria Recording Studios in Miami, we have most of the sessions for what then becomes the album Flowing Rivers, 
which was released in September 1977 in both the UK and the US. Quite a big gap, wasn't there? Yeah, that's nearly a year from recording to release. So as part of our episodic feature, I've got the UK top 10 for September 1977, and we'll run through it. I'm all ready. At number 10, Emotions. Don't know. Best of My Love. Oh, okay. Number 9, Candy Staten. Was that Nights on Broadway? Yep. Number 8, Carly Simon. You're so... No, it's... uh, Nobody Does It Better. Correct. Number 7, Floaters. Float On. Yep. Number 6, Mary Wilson. Telephone Man. Yep. Number 5, Donna Summer. Oh, it could be one of... I Feel Love. Nope. Uh, Loves and Kind. Nope. Down Deep Inside. Oh, right. Number 4, Jean-Michel Jarre. Part 1 or something. Yeah. Oxygen, yeah. yeah. Oxygen Part 4. Number three, David Soul. Silver Lady? Yeah, correct. Number two, Space. Oh, now I can't think of this one. Magic Fly. Magic Fly, that's it. And at number one, any guess on the artist? In September 77. I suppose you've got to think about the month of this year and the life of this artist. It was Elvis Presley, way down. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So thinking about that top ten, any of those, which is your favourite of those? Nights on Broadway. I should say that, really, shouldn't I? If I'd have, I, would, I would probably would have brought that one. No, I can't remember. Think of anything else I would have brought out that lot. Were you buying much in 77? Well, I started working in August 77, so it's probably started buying albums like 10cc um, and then catching up with albums from previous years. Now I'm working, I can afford to buy them. So it's like ELO, New World Record. There's some really good albums in 77. What what have you? Some at? of my favourites are Peter Gabriel's debut. Oh yeah, and then Anthony Phillips's debut yeah. album, and then there's Godly and Cream Consequences. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Deceptive Bends, which is my favourite Ten C album, and then probably Hall and Oates' worst album, wasn't it? Beauty on the Back. Yeah, it's a weird album, very strange. But in the UK as well, you, you, punk was in full flight because it, it was the Queen's Jubilee in '77. So the record that it's disputed the. The 25th anniversary was supposed to be Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, number one. But it was shown as number two. I think it was Rod Stewart they put as number one. Which do you prefer? At the time, I was Rod Stewart. But now I'm not so sure, actually. I quite like the summer Sex Pistols stuff. Save the Queen! Andy took part in an interview with Robin Katz for the 16th of July 1977 issue of Record Mirror. So this would have been after the release of I Just Want to Be Your Everything. It's quite a revealing interview, quite extensive. And Andy says, A lot of people figure that the Bee Gees have such a popular sound that I'm just cashing in. Yes, I Just Want to Be Your Everything was the result of a collaboration with Barry, but my own material is much different. I write things that are more in an Eagles, country and Western vein. Yeah, that's what I thought. He then goes on to say that I can't write when I'm depressed, but if I'm feeling okay, I can write about what it feels like when you are depressed. And if all else fails, I can always listen to Randy Newman or Don McLean and feel lifted again. They both construct marvellous songs. And then reflecting on his time in Australia, Andy says, It doesn't matter whether you break big or fall on your face in Australia, very few groups ever get heard outside of the continent. And then talking about the album, Andy says, Most of the songs on Flowing Rivers 
were written over a period of two years in Australia. But Albie Galutin has a very off-the-wall approach to producing, and he took those songs and turned them around and came up with some incredible grooves. It's true, because listening to these recordings that we've gone through, there's no country influence at all, is there? Not much. Not, the, not in the backing, I mean, not in the production. It might be in the style of writing, but it wasn't brought out in the production on any of them. I'll go through the personnel on Flowing Rivers. So on guitar, there is Joey Mercier and Tim Renwick. On piano and keyboards, Paul Harris. Synthesizer, Albie Galutin. Harold Cowart on bass. Ron Zeigler on drums. John Sambataro on vocals. Barry on vocal on I Just Want to Be Your Everything and Love Is Thicker Than Water. George Terry on guitar. Also Joe Walsh on guitar on a few songs. Don Buzzard and Nelson Pedron on steel guitar and percussion respectively. The orchestra is arranged by Albie Galutin, conducted by Mike Lewis, and the engineers are Carl Richardson and Steve Gursky, and then producer Albie Galutin, Carl Richardson, Barry Gibb. So with all of that, should we start going through Andy's debut album? Yeah, love to. And we go on to side one, track one, I Just Want To Be Your Everything. I Just Want To Be Your Everything was released in May 1977 with In The End as the B-side. In the 21st of May issue of Record World, they review the single, saying, Andy's debut single bears the Bee Gees trademark of lush arrangements and vibrato vocals, which can be expected, with Barry Gibb listed as executive producer, but he demonstrates a substantial talent for writing smooth songs marked by strong hooks. Coming off on the back of Children of the World, do you think it would have fitted on there? You know, maybe if there was to be that album that never was in 1977 with the material from Saturday Night Fever, then this could have found a home on there. But as it is here, it's the perfect debut for Andy commercially. And Andy says, I Just Want To Be Your Everything was one of the most meaningful songs of all for me. It all came about that I had just got married in Australia at the time and Robert Stigwood and Barry asked me to fly out to Bermuda. Me and Barry locked ourselves in a bedroom and Barry just started writing. When Barry writes, it is very hard to collaborate with him because he is so quick. And before I knew it, he was starting to do the chorus and I thought, wow, what a hook. It was right in there. Well, I think this one, I love this record. I think it's got a fantastic melody and I do think it's enhanced by Barry's vocals on the chorus. Everything that we said about To A Girl with the backing harmonies being quite primitive in those backing vocals with I Just Want To Be Your Everything Barry's touch really makes the song what it is everything from the writing to the production but in being a Barry composition Andy still makes it his own I think it's one of the top definitive Andy Gibbs songs I'm sure for many people it's the definitive Andy Gibbs song well I've got uh, there was an interview with Albie Goulton And he goes on to say, when you do anything with Barry at this point in his career, he was so hot. You'd sit down and write a song with him. 
I called it the Barry Gibb Gift Society. He'd sit down and he'd play like two chords and the next thing you know, the song was done. He had all the melody and the lyrics and it happened in no time. Well, I've got a quotation from Barry talking about the title of the song and he says, The word just was vital. It came about because I was looking for a way to sing it and place emphasis on a particular word. When it first went into the charts and was listed only as I want to be your everything, I could have screamed. The whole idea of that title was the word just. I just want to be your everything. Just meaning that's all I want. That was the sentiment. So I had to figure out a way to put that line into a chorus where it could lay nicely on the melody line and emphasise just. And I completely agree with Barry. The whole meaning of the song lies in the word just. Yeah, it, it just want to be your own. Yeah, it changes the whole meaning of the song. If you take it out, if you take it out from the title, if you take it out from the chorus, you lose that sense of what makes the song so great. Well, obviously, it worked well with the with the US public because it, it was four weeks at number one. Yeah. If you look at the overall chart listings for music in 1977 in America, you frequently see I Just Want to Be Your Everything in the top five. Yeah. And whilst this is unlike the rest of the album, I think that this is the perfect lead-in for the album, both as the single and the first song on the album. And I think that because it's written by Barry, it does bear more resemblance to the Bee Gees' work than to Andy's style across the rest of this album. But I think that Andy's endearing vocal performance and the plucky guitars and the smooth production and the infectious chorus makes this such an irresistible song. It's impossible to dislike this one. And going back to what we said about the similarity in Andy and Barry's vocals, there's a very clever use of the near falsetto in the chorus. And that's a point in which it's quite difficult to tell, is that Andy or is that Barry? Because of that falsetto sound, it puts that stamp on this song that this is, this is a Gibb song. This is undeniably from that Bee Gees family of music. Showing how popular it is, in 2013, Billboard produced a 55th anniversary of all the chart singles. This one came in at number 26. And I think those people that did buy this got two sides of Andy, with the A and the B side. I just want to be, I'll be your everything. Open up the heaven in your heart and let me be the things you are to me. There's quite a lot of performances and and clips of this of Andy singing this on YouTube, but one of my favourites is from '83, where I think he sings it in a slightly lower register, and he's got some backing singers that tend to do the high bits, and it's it's just a great performance. So we're talking sort of six years down the line, and it it's great, and it's proof of the legacy of this song that. Six years after its release, it's still his staple yeah. life song. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. And thank you all for coming. Thank you very much. Regarding reviews, Cashbox said that a high-pitched boyish voice is the vehicle for this 
Happy Love Song. I'll read a passage from Donald A. Garisco's review of I Just Want to Be Your Everything from All Music. Yeah. And he says that the lyrics present a twist on the usual love song premise. The song's narrator isn't trying to win over some mysterious object of desire, but trying to earn the devotion of someone who hasn't made up her mind about him. Open up the heaven in your heart and let me be the things you are to me and not some puppet on a string. The music reflects the narrator's inattention by contrasting verses that rise and fall in a pensive fashion with a chorus whose rapidly ascending style mirrors the anxious quality of his pleas. Andy Gibbs' recording of I Just Want To Be Your Everything perfectly captures the essence of mid-1970s soft rock with its glossy production which marries acoustic guitar textures and ethereal washes of synthesizer to a light but insistent beat that borders on disco. And I think that that just perfectly summarises this incredible song. It really, it's fantastic. It really is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And then Record World said that a sure pop touch should take this tune, penned by Brother Barry, right at the charts. And it did. It got to number one in America, number one in Canada, number one in Brazil, Australia, Spain it got to 13... And in the UK, number 26. Good showing. So not bad for a first single, is it? Still surprises me that you don't really remember it, even at number 26. But with radio at the time, how far down did a song have to be before it wouldn't be played on the radio? Was there only things that were in the top 50? Top 20. Top of the Pops might have gone a bit further on the TV, but as far as the chart rundown on a Sunday evening, because that's when the new charts came out, it was always just the top 20. So 21 must have been a bit of a bummer to get to 21. yeah, yeah. They always used to say if, if they can get on top of the pops, it virtually guarantees them a place in the top 20. So that's why they always had to play a couple of acts outside that, give them a chance to get into the charts. But yes, it obviously did really well one side of the world and not, um, not so much in Europe, because I can't see where it charted in Germany either. You know, when Barry played it to me, I thought, oh yeah, that's, you know, it's a monster song. Yeah. And... You know, I thought that you know maybe the song's great, but maybe it won't be a hit because I'm doing it or whatever. I didn't really think that I could actually myself have a hit record or a number one record. And then it just kept climbing and kept climbing. And uh, when it got to the top 50, that was enough for me. I screamed my head off. So on this one, I'm going to give this one a nine. Same for me, nine out of ten. And for track two, it's Words of Music. Like a majority of this album, this song took a while to sink in. But when it does, it's tremendous. And Andy proves his worth as a solo artist. It's a song that, like To A Girl, demonstrates Andy's great vocal capabilities with that sustained note on the word sad at 2 minutes and 37 seconds. 
And I think that Andy's life and career, in the shortness of it, will always have a bittersweet flavour to it. And it makes songs such as Words and Music, with the pleading vocal and stirring string arrangements, very poignant. Yeah. When I first heard this album, and um, it wasn't until I started reading it, that I thought Barry was on most of the album, but literally he's only on the two singles. But I think with Words and Music, probably around about 3.15 mark, the harmonies come in, and they do sort of mimic BG's sound. And that's Albie Galutin, Carl Richardson, working their magic. And this did remind me of a particular BRM composition, and it's one of my absolute favourites. So when Andy says, and then everyone will know that we're in love, that reminds me a lot of You and I from the Kenny Rogers album. I hadn't thought of that. Good spot. Which I think is, that's one of the best. Oh, it's a cracking track, that one. I'm sure listening to this, this would fit onto any Bee Gees album pre-75. With what you said earlier on, thinking that Barry was on more of these songs, you, you write in what you say about words and music, it's surprising, even though this is just an Andy composition, how well it would fit into the rest of the Bee Gees material. I mean, considering he was, he was 16 when he wrote this, unusual material for a 16-year-old, isn't it, to, to go into... The sort of maturity that's coming out here now, it's, it's, it's remarkable really, isn't it? I think that the album Flowing Rivers gets a little bit lost because Andy's public image in 1977, after the release of I Just Want to Be Your Everything... Well, he was a teen idol then. Yeah, he was a teen idol. He was like a, a, like a pin-up. And so I think that a lot of people would have just been attracted towards the single and then the follow-up, Love is Thicker Than Water, and probably might not have bothered with buying the album or if they did buy the album maybe only had the album for that front cover image or, yeah. and, and probably didn't even play both sides or give them much listen and so I think that there's more to Andy than a lot of people would think more than just his good looks yeah. or his commercial singles and it's songs like words and music that prove that that from such an early age he could write you know these really deep and poignant songs I certainly think that words and music is one of the strongest compositions that he brought in for this album. Looking at this album objectively, Words and Music might be the strongest one on there, even though it's not my favourite. It is as a composition. It is, as you said, it's up to the quality of BG standards. I'll make the raindrops turn to snow. Eight out of ten. Yeah, I've gone with an eight as well. Something else about this album, which I love, is the sequencing. Yeah. And the way that the songs blend into each other. There's one coming up later in side two, which I absolutely love. But the transition from I Just Want to Be Your Everything into then the opening guitar chord of words and music. Because you think in isolation, you think they wouldn't work. Yeah, and they work both in isolation and together. And then again, it's a really nice sort of subtle transition from words and music going into track three. Dance to the light of the morning. 
Dance to the Light of the Morning is the first of two Andy Gibb and Albie Galutin co-writes. Great title for a song. Yes. Excellent title for a song. Dance to the Light of the Morning. The image that conjures up could be anything, couldn't it? And sort of quite a good album title as well. Yeah, it would be. Would be. I would describe this song as nice, easy, puts a smile in your face type of song. I've seen on the internet where it's been described as having similarities to a song called Let Your Love Flow by the Bellamy Brothers. Yes, that's what it was reminding me of. I was trying to think. The style of this song reminded me of of a certain song or a certain artist. That's what it is, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I put down that I thought this was quite reminiscent of Glenn Campbell's music. Yeah. I think more so than any other song on this album, Dance to the Light of the Morning is very much a product of 1977. I don't think you could place this in any other year. Bit of rhinestone cowboy and then... Yeah, definitely of the decade. That you're moving on the back roads by the rivers of my memory And for hours you're just gentle on my mind Before revisiting Flowing Rivers, I'd forgotten about this song. And it is pleasant, it's a lilting tune with a tasteful country flavour, which we'll then see flowing throughout this album. Have you heard the live version of Dance to the Light of the Morning? The only one I could find, Chris, was was quite a lo-fi version. What do you think to it? I think that in its live version, the arrangement comes across more as yacht rock and feels even more laid back than the studio version. Which I like. I th- I'm a big yeah. I was saying I think you like fan. that, don't you? Yeah. So adult contempo yacht rock. It's what I do like a lot. We always talk about the first three songs on an album and how important they are. And again, I think we've got a nice eclectic first three songs on Flowing Rivers. We've had the commercial up-tempo quasi-disco pop of I Just Want to Be Your Everything, and then the singer-songwriter ballad of Words and Music. He's Australian stuff. Now he's gone into the LA, yeah, American... Dance Like the Morning. It's, it's laid back, it's yacht rock, it's, as you said, let your love flow, that flavour to it. We had groups as well in the UK like Dr Hook that were doing this sort of style of music. All in all, good song. I've gone with a seven on this. Yeah, see, I'm looking now. I've given it a six. I do like the song a lot, but I just think that it lacks something, even Mm. though I do really like its live version and I like the feel of the song. So with that in mind, shall we go into track number four? Too Many Looks in Your Eyes is the second of the Andy and Albie Gluten co-writes on the album. 
What do you make of it? For me, this has got my favourite chorus on the album. Not 100% sure on the verses, but definitely the chorus. I mean, that chorus would grace any Bee Gees album, even in 78, 79. It's got a fantastic hook to it. But do you think that's what Gluten brings to it? From having worked on main course, Children of the World? Yeah, I think you're probably right, actually. It could do. I mean, the only thing about this song as well, it does show off Andy's vocal. Do you think this one would fit on to After Dark? Yes, I think this is a precursor of things to come. Too Many Looks in Your Eyes could have been on either of his following albums. And also, working with Gluten, I do think that that shows in the fantastic arrangement. There's a mixture of both synthesizer, which I'm assuming Gluten is playing, and also orchestral arrangements. And on songs such as Too Many Looks in Your Eyes, it's quite difficult to distinguish between what's synthesizer and what's orchestral strings. But I think that overall, the effect is a really powerful and rousing arrangement. And the way it builds up to the chorus. Yeah, as to what you said, is one of the best choruses on the album. We've mentioned like lyrics and stuff. I find his lyrics not so abstract as his brothers. Yeah, Andy seems to be much more direct. Yes. If he wants to say, I feel this way, it's there in the lyrics. We've discussed him with Bee Gees, i.e. like dogs and things like that. They, they are so abstract and out there. And again, with lyrics on Tin Can, you, you, there's so many interpretations, isn't there? Whereas, whereas Andy seems to put his heart on his sleeve on a lot of these. Yeah, and I like that. Now, you said about Andy's voice on this song. I do think that you can still hear that Andy's voice is developing. There's some parts of this song where I think his voice sounds slightly thin. And it's understandable why Barry had to be so involved in some of his later works to really strengthen his vocals. I don't think that at this point in his career, or sadly at many points in his career, he doesn't... Andy lacks some of that resonance that you need to carry the emotion of some of the lines. But I think that on this song, the melody and the arrangement are so beautiful that the song works really well as a whole. Yeah, and that goes back to his voice and stuff, to what I think about the verse, whether it was the key slightly doesn't fit in. But no, it's a definite, um, definite highlight on this side for me. You mentioned the previous song, a live version. There's also a great live version, this one on the Don Kishner show. Well, scores-wise, for the chorus, I'm going to give it nine, the verse six, so I'm probably have to go in the middle and say seven or eight. Probably eight. Okay, I've gone for seven. And now to the last track on side one, which is Starlight. Now, when I listen to this, I always think of the beginning of this, the piano lead into it, always reminds me of Boomtown Rats, I Don't Like Mondays. I always expect Bob Geldof to wear him with his silicon chip to start this off.
I like this song. I like the way it starts with Andy's sort of soft, gentle vocal going into his full voice. And then we get like the Bee Gees full harmonies. And if you want to hear hear him sing this really well, again, on the Don Kirshner show, there's an excellent performance there where he, he really showcases his vocal qualities on that. Come back again. got a would you say sort of an atmospheric lullaby quality to it excellent keyboard work from paul harris which i think gives it that arrangement style that you were mentioning um yeah and, and those opening descending notes which i'm assuming that harris is playing immediately captivating and it gives the song that whimsical lullaby flavor the chorus for starlight is similar to words and music and we get another bittersweet vocal from andy My highlight for this song happens at two minutes when Andy is backing himself on the harmonies. And it's a very subtle touch, but it really helps to strengthen, for him to strengthen his own voice. And then again, the double tracking at two minutes, 24 seconds with Now You've Come Back Again, I think is particularly special. If you listen closely, his backing vocals are in a register that's a little bit higher, but it works so well. And it proves that Andy is just as good at backing himself with the vocals and the backing harmonies, just as good as my Barry does. When, the way that Barry does it, yeah. Maybe this is too similar in style to the previous song to be sequenced straight after it, but it does work really well as a closer to side one. Yeah, I think this is a nice way to end side one. Like you said, it might be slightly one too many of yeah. these in a row, even though I do like the flow of the album. And it's been a while since I've asked you a hypothetical question so I'll ask you one now if you were a big Bee Gees fan in 1977 and this album comes out and you've heard the first two singles so you pick up this album is this what you would have expected come the end of side one I would have expected more like the first two singles but I wouldn't have been surprised to have heard songs like this on the album this album is probably a little bit more this style of music than the two singles whereas I probably would have expected the other way around but you need to really with Andy you need to go back like we've done to 74 to see what he was doing to see where that material ended up I think this is the right home for it he couldn't have gone any other way and as I said at the very beginning of the podcast this album is what Andy was all about then okay we've heard him sort of rock out a bit live but then doesn't every group rock out live you know, you can't go to a concert and expect ballad after ballad after ballad. You've got to have something. But with an album, you can gear it more towards disco and gear it more towards sort of... I mean, this is sort of soft rock, country, mellow. Mm-hmm. 
For scores, I've given Starlight a six. Yeah, I'm six and seven. I'm probably going for. A, I'll be generous and go for a seven. We can get our notes ready for the next single, which is "Love Is Thicker Than Water." This is the first Barry and Andy composition that we know of, certainly the first ever that was released. Would you have picked this for the second single? It's an unusual choice for a single. It's got quite a lot to it, isn't it? You know, we, we get sort of varying tempos, but then we do get the can-be-very-popular na-na-nas and the just the bits at the end of the song. Mm-hmm. In 68, you had the Beatles doing Hey Jude... Mark Barr and T-Rex in 71 doing Hot Love when half the record is na 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 Rocky LA. Rocky LA, yeah, na 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 And there we are with Andy. That's my favourite bit of the song. I think without that, this song is... I like well, it. It's like an ending to the song, It's that ending it? coda that just... When I come to the end of listening to this album, it's that ending coda of Love is Thick Than Water that sticks in my head the most. It's an earworm of itself. It's such a, a fantastic melody... This song is such a precursor for Andy's next two albums. Overall, it doesn't quite have the staying power of the first single. And I don't think the chorus is strong enough. As a second single, it's fine. But yeah, I think that that ending is amazing. I've read that Andy was talking to Robert Morgan in 1981. Andy goes on to say that after I Just Want to Be Here Everything, Barry then started writing another song. First, he said, help me think of a great title. I said, how about Thicker Than Water? I did not say, love is just thicker than water. He said, that's great. Then he came up with, love is higher than a mountain, love is thicker than water. Then he just went on from there, but the title was totally my idea. While I need her more than she needs you, that's what I'm praying for. As a second single, this was released in September of 77 to coincide with the release of the album, and it was backed by Flowing Rivers. There's a fantastic synth or guitar solo, I can't tell which one it is, at 1 minutes and 3 seconds. I wonder if that's by Joe Walsh, who was in the Eagles. At the time, they were in Criteria, and they were doing finishing touches to Hotel California. But saying that, I'm wondering whether it's his guitar at the end of the song. But that solo at one minute, three seconds, I think is a good demonstration of just how immaculate and clean sounding the arrangement is, not only in this song, but across this entire album. did a concert from Chile in 1984 so he does a really good version of this as well got to check out the perm as well so you know it's rent 84 time <laughs> should I find out she don't care at all she'll leave me crying 
So you say this was released in 19, in September 77. Looking at it, this was a bit of a, a slow one on the US charts. But I suppose with the back end of I Just Want to Be Your Everything, and then you've got the release of How Deep Is Your Love from Saturday Night Fever. So you've got all this activity going on and everything that this actually got to the number one spot, would you believe, in March 1978. This goes back to what you've said numerous times about the period 76 to 79. Anything that Barry touches turns to gold. And and it, do you know which song it replaced? It, it replaced Staying Alive. Well, there you go. The detriment of that could have been that if the first two singles were with Barry, you're then comparing the rest of the album to see if it matches the quality of those co-writes with Barry. Can Andy sustain it as well mm. on his own? Which I think he can. Maybe not as the most commercial songs on this album but I think we'll see that in the next song Flowing Rivers that Andy has enough talent to carry his own but to hit the number one spot in March is is virtually 18 months after it was recorded Billboard reviewed this song, concluding that it has plenty of melody and another catchy hook. Record World said that it flows with a light touch and clever chorus stroke hook. So scores on the doors with this one, I'm going to go with an 8. And I've given it a 7. For that ending alone, I could give it a 10. But I think the rest of the song doesn't quite hit the same standard. Probably that's why it's such a slow burner as well. It's it's not what you'd pick as... uh, an immediate single and you wouldn't expect it to get to number one but I think with repeated plays it does it does sink in and we've spoken about the ending of the song but equally I do like the very beginning it's got that stuttered intro the instrumentation has to kind of catch up with itself and then Andy comes in with he comes in straight away with the chorus which is a nice change as opposed to usually coming in with the verse it's straight in with the chorus instantly recognisable and probably why it was chosen as a single or written to be a single. Which I think they were. And it's quite interesting as well that both this and the previous single, Barry had already done the backing tracks. So I think all Andy had to go and do was lay his vocals on top. Implying that there might be versions somewhere with Barry? It might possibly. It probably is, actually. I mean, we got it with Don't Throw It All Away, didn't we? Yeah. Don't Throw Your Love Away. Warm Ride. Warm Ride. So there might be a demo somewhere down the line. Right, with that, shall we go into the second track, side two, which is... Flowing Rivers. Even though this was the B-side to the second single, this could have been its own A-side. I consider this to be another one of the definitive Andy Gibb songs. 
as a solo composition, it represents Andy and his musical interests. It's not copying from his brothers, it has its own unique style with the country flavour, as we've mentioned, the Eagles, the up-tempo rhythm, and it's so clear to see why this was chosen as the title of the album. And in fact, it was going to be the third single, but because obviously the time it took to record Flowing Rivers and all these releases, Andy had gone into the studio and done Shadow Dancing, mm-hmm. so that's why Shadow Dancing was, re- was released as the next single. But like you, I, it's one of my favourites on the album. And of all the songs that are on this album, Flowing Rivers is the most autobiographical, even if it wasn't necessarily written as such. I'll read through a passage. Singing every town that learned to like me, modest payments paid for what I ate. Ah, you're standing there, tears in your eyes. You once called me a man, and loving you was never in my plans. So prior to his departure from Australia, Andy did marry... And so I feel like these lyrics talking about someone trying to earn their way as a living as a musician and having to leave their loved ones behind maybe reflects that. Influenced by that, yeah, by his own circumstances. So we've spoken about the involvement of Joe Walsh from the Eagles with this album and after some encouragement, I know that before in a previous episode I said I wasn't that keen on the Eagles music, but I have been encouraged to go back and give their catalogue some more investigation and going back and listening to their earlier works, I can definitely hear more of that Flowing River sound. One called Lion Eyes. Yes, that's the one from 75, so before Joe Walsh was in the band, but Lion Eyes incredible song and it's so similar to Flowing Rivers Okay, nine for me. I think I'm going to go with an eight on this. And it does lead in to my favourite moment on this album. Whether you hear the same thing as me, but the transition from Flowing Rivers into the next song, Come Home for the Winter, is such a magical moment on the album. Me explaining it can't do it justice. I'll play it now. It does flow in really nicely and it leads the way a little bit more up-tempo. And Come Home for the Winter, this was my discovery of this podcast. I think, I feel like every time we do one of these podcasts, 
both of us discover that one song that we'd either forgotten about or that is overlooked, underrated. Well, it's funny you say that on this song. I find the production on this very twee, probably the weakest on the album. I'd probably give it a few more listens, but that was my first initial. Oh, this sounds thin. While we're on this, this song, Come Home From Winter, back in the early 2000s when I was trying to get all this unreleased stuff, there's a bootleg and people have tried to make a compilation of Christmas songs that the Bee Gees did. And this one always appeared on there. Apart from the word winter, I don't see any resemblance to Christmas. Just looking at it, I mean, there's a few titles on the bootleg, which see if you can... You've got All My Christmases Came At Once, Lord Bless All. Then you've got a couple from Robin's solo album, In The Bleak Midwinter. Then you've got Ghost of Christmas Past, the orchestra. Silent Night, the Bee Gees do. But like you, the, the more you hear it, the more the melody sinks in. This is a joyous acoustic number. It's got a wonderful melody, earworm hook of a chorus with I've been thinking about you, baby, and I know you think I'm crazy. There's also a bridge, which we haven't had too often on this album, which comes in at just the right moment to take the song into a different direction. That bit, and when the evening's over. That's it, yeah. And the transition back into the verse is tremendous. I regard this as being one of the most underrated of all of Andy's songs. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't dislike the song. I just find it a little bit, the production a bit thin. You said about, do you consider this as being a winter or Christmas song? I find this whole album to be very autumnal. And this song in particular, Coming Home for the Winter in the Autumn. And then you got on the lyrics as well. He goes on about all the summers in Denver. I thought he might have mentioned something in Australia or something. And then the title as well, Come Home from Winter, I think only gets mentioned twice at the very beginning of the song. And then the second part. Yeah, in the verse. Yeah, it's not part of the chorus, is it? It's very uplifting, very joyous. And it's one that I'd completely forgotten about. So I was so glad to discover this. It's been my favourite discovery of the album. That's good. So I give this one an 8 out of 10. For me, I'll probably go six. Just on a, on a side thing as well, there's the Bee Gees mythology, where they have a disc from each of them, isn't there? I, I looked at it, and, and there's eight tracks from this album on that mythology. The two that are missing are Come Home From Winter, and the next track we're going to discuss, Let It Be Me. Well, I can understand it with Let It Be Me. It's one of, if not my least favourite songs on this album. It continues the up-tempo mood, which carries through a lot of side two, which I do really like. But I just find it a little bit weak. What you said about the thinness of the arrangement on Come Home for the Winter, I get that with the chorus on Let It Be Me. It sounds a little bit underdeveloped. But there are moments on it that I really like. And with the backing vocals and the chorus, this song ventures towards gospel, which is an interesting genre which Andy never revisits. And the Bee Gees don't often revisit post Mr Natural but it fits really well on this album 
I would describe this as a another country rock song. Starts off with a bit of line dancing. All we need is a bit of square dance, Mr. Marshall. <laughs> yeah. Started off. Yep. And then we go to sort of disco. You know, sort of soft, soft disco. So the beginning part sounds to me like something from, no pun intended, sounded like something from Life in a Tin Can, but two years on, three. <laughs> very good, very good. So I think this one, I'm a bit like you on this one. I, I, I It's probably one of my least favourites. It does, it's definitely a grow with, with repeated listens. Yes, and when you listen to side two, going from Flowing Rivers right through to the end of the album... Those four songs transition into each other really well and there's an overall mood that is conjured up by the four songs when they're played, when they're sequenced in that order. When they're played together, they're really good, but I wouldn't go out and listen to Let It Be Me in isolation. But I think it has a good commercial hook. And that's Andy's talent that he's picked up, whether it's just in the Gib DNA, to be able to do that. Well, we mentioned a group called the Rubettes when we was talking on Mr Natural about chart stuff from 74. Well, they sort of re-established themselves in 77 Mm -hmm. and they did a song called Baby I Know and that's not dissimilar to this and that got in the top 20 in the UK. Because 77 was such an eclectic mix of stuff, I could see this song fitting in well and could have been a bit of a strange one, could have been a a throw-out single. Not that I would want it to be a single, but there was stuff that was not dissimilar to this. Well, I've given this a six. Yeah, I'll go with a six as well. We then go on to the last song on the album, In The End. I've come home I've been away too long But you don't want me back again And I try In the same way that I Just Want to Be Your Everything was the perfect opener, this is the perfect choice for closer. It's not my favourite on the album, I don't think it's the strongest Andy composition, but it carries everything that you would expect a final song to carry. The moment when Andy sings, you don't see sense, eyes never cry, there's a lot of emotion there, which I really, really like, and that always hits me. And then with the backing vocals and the luscious strings, I think that Andy gives everything in his vocal performance... And then especially in his second delivery of the line, points denied, when he raises it an octave from his first delivery. It's, I think this might be his best vocal performance on the album. Well, I've put down, Chris, that I think this might be the most complex song on the album. I've got down here wonderful vocals from Andy, and he really, really complements the melancholic atmosphere. It's backed with wonderful orchestra arrangements. And I'm just wondering, we come to the last track now, 
I've said it quite a few times, we are hearing Andy as Andy wanted to be heard in 76. He comes across as an excellent singer-songwriter with this. And I think the quality of this composition really shines, shines through, for, especially for somebody so young. And then again, like I've just mentioned, it's the last track on this LP. And it's also used as the last track on Mythology. That's quite fitting. Sad, but uh, yeah. in hindsight, I don't know whether I'd have put it as the last one on Mythology. It's sort of an end, isn't it? Mm. Whereas on this album, we've still got two more albums to look forward to. I think Mythology was the first time that Arrow Through the Heart was played, wasn't it? And there's also, which we'll discover, there's a couple of more unreleased songs. I might have gone within the end and then thrown another just right at the end. In different ways, In the End and Arrow Through the Heart are both very fitting closers and they both have different emotional impacts. There's lyrics in Arrow Through the Heart which are very heartbreaking and also for In the End as well. Yeah. I said before that Flowing Rivers as an album is the purest Andy album. It's got the most Andy solo compositions and I feel like it's closest to what he wants as an artist without too much influence from his brothers or from the commercial market and so in the end it sort of fits that this is closing off this first album but also closing off this kind of innocent part of his career before everything else oh, pop- stardom, popular, in, stardom drugs rock and roll all kicks Cause, in I mean, when he'd done this album he didn't know he was going to have hits with those first two songs As the last song on the album, I've given this a seven. I've gone with an eight. In the 21st of May 1977 issue of Cashbox, I found a review or a preview of the album from quite a few months before it was released. And the reviewer says, Andy Gibb has some of his siblings' vocal qualities but enough independent will to want to do it his own way. His debut album, aided by the silky smooth single I Just Want To Be Your Everything, has a richness and vitality that is ample evidence that Andy knows where he wants to be. With people like Joe Walsh sitting in, we're bound to hear more from Andy. And more recently, on All Music, Amy Hansen writes... While it can't be argued that Andy achieved most of his success with the more dance-oriented material, it would have been interesting to see what would have come of his music had he stayed the course dictated by this LP. Yeah, that's what I think. I'd like to have seen Flowing Rivers point two. Yeah. Really, in effect, Flowing Rivers could have been his second album, couldn't it? You could have had an album done in Australia, could have gone out with his band and promoted that album, see how well it did. If you didn't do well, fair enough. Then you take the best of that material and you then go, with Barry's help, probably go and record Flowing Rivers. Or if it did well, it would have been come over here. I mean, Robert Stigwood said he couldn't find any hit singles on it, but I don't know. 
before the two singles were written. Yeah. Can you see any singles out of the remaining eight tracks? Too many looks in your eyes. Flowing Rivers, I think, would have been those are the two modest yeah, I, singles. Yeah, they're the two I would I would probably think of actually. There's enough substance to songs like Words and Music and Dance to the Light of the Morning where they could have done something. Yeah. Going on to listener thoughts, Daniel Navarro emailed in and he says, Andy's voice is at its best here. It sounds full and confident. His concerts in Australia just before he moved to America showcase his voice quite nicely. The songs he wrote for Flowing Rivers seem to have an Eagles influence. And had he kept up and developed his songwriting skills, I think he could have had more confidence in himself and not compare himself too much to his brothers. Totally agree on that, yeah. On Facebook, Celine Gibb says, Beautiful country ballads on this album, with a varied music style, like only the Gibb brothers are talented in. Andy performed each song greatly, and his subliminal voice matched whatever the music style was. Anita Christiansen says, It's really difficult to pick favourites from this album. I love each and every song. The two wonderful ballads, Words and Music and Starlight, are very dear to me. Andy's beautiful voice is so clear. Dance to the Light of the Morning is so catchy, but again, I can't find anything I'd like to change. On Facebook, Anita Christiansen says, It's really difficult to pick favourites from this album. I love each and every song. The two wonderful ballads, Words and Music and Starlight, are very dear to me. Andy's beautiful... Andy's beautiful voice is so clear. Dance to the Light of the Morning is so catchy, but again, I can't find anything I'd like to change. Going on to the survey for Flowing Rivers, from what I can see from the responses, kind of as expected. No surprises then. No, I'm sure you could guess what came in at number one. But going in reverse order, so at the bottom was Dance to the Light of the Morning with 7.4, followed by In the End, 7.5. Too Many Looks in Your Eyes and Come Home for the Winter in joint 6th place with 7.7. Then in joint 5th, Starlight and Let It Be Me, 7.8. That did better than I thought. 4th place, Words and Music, 8.1. 3rd place, Flowing Rivers, 8.6. 2nd place, Love is Thicker Than Water, 8.7. And then all the way at the top, I Just Want to Be Your Everything, 9.4. There's no, you're right, there's no surprises there, is there? It is, and always will be, I think the top Andy Gibbs song. Yeah, I think so. Well, I say that, I know what's to come on Shadow Dancing. Having forayed into Andy Gibbs' early works and his first album for this episode, for the next episode, we're looking at the Bee Gees' soundtrack works of 1977 and 1978, including the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack and the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band film soundtracks, plus some other works collated from those two years. For some of their biggest, best-known work to date. Yeah, I think so, yeah.
Thank you for listening to Words, the Bee Gees podcast, presented by Stuart and Cristiano Jepson. Follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Words Bee Gees Podcast and on Twitter at Words Bee Gees Pod. Or, if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at wordsbeegeespodcast at gmail.com. 